Um, hello everyone and welcome once again to another episode of Ugo's Take. And today I'll be speaking with Alex Peters again. He was here on the previous um, episode. Um, so today we have a range of issues that we'll be discussing. And so we'll just dive straight in. So <laughs> this season doesn't seem to... Um, or this season just keeps on surprising. It just keeps throwing, throwing up surprises every weekend it seems um so what's your take on the weekend on the weekend For me, I the Chelsea game was a completely disappointing, <laughs> a very disappointing game. Um, from the first whistle to the end of the game, we're just completely um, useless. Um, for me, I feel what was more worrying for me was the way Frank Lampard carried himself. Like, okay, you first off, how do you play four-three-three with um, Havertz on the left when you know he's that's not what he's meant to play and he's not even pacey it's one thing if you have maybe a pacey centre midfielder and then you say okay just for today player on the flanks but he's not pacey but he has legs enough to run to the middle and then you're just forcing um, Timo Werner who's essentially a striker but you're forcing him to play out wide turn him into a winger and what do you expect and then you expect them to play very well it's not going to work and you could have easily gone for a diamond you know with Kante at the base and then Kovacic mount uh, as the two eights and then um, Havertz plays in a more in his more favoured position as um, at the tip of the diamond behind maybe Werner and Giroud but uh, he just didn't want to try anything else Yeah, and then Olivier Giroud, he's not like um, your DJ Drogba, for instance. Olivier Giroud, don't get me wrong, he's he's a massive unit. He's I think he's more muscular than DJ Drogba, but DJ Drogba is one man that knew how to use his size, use his strength, get you know back into defenders. But Giroud is he's more he's too nice, I think. And when it comes to it, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. 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 I cannot agree. <laughs> I can't agree more because you're watching the game, you're asking yourself because sometimes you watch a football match and then the supposed big team might be losing, but you can kind of see a way back by the way they play. You feel okay. The way they're going, this winger looks like he's getting the best of his uh, full back. So some, he might eventually get a good cross in or take on the, the winger and do something. Or sometimes you see something from the bench. But what did Lampard do? He decided to bring on Tommy Abraham to play out wide. Like that was going to, to make any difference. Once I just saw that change, I just knew the match was gone because he just showed that probably was out of ideas. Um, for the game, um, though fair, fair deals to him, um, Pulisic and Hakim Zayek, they're out, they were out injured. That's why I felt you should have opted for a diamond since your best wingers they're out, there's nothing you can do about it. So you should have tried something different. tend to disagree a, a bit in terms of top four maybe I don't know they won't have them in top six maybe top six uh, because top four you have Liverpool you have um, Spurs obviously you have Man City though they're um, just outside the top four at the moment and you have Chelsea and I think these other teams have deeper squads and at least for Man City and Liverpool and Chelsea they could fix their problems in the window, spend big. Uh, so, um, going back to Arsenal, as an Arsenal um, fan and supporter, where do you think Arsenal, or what do you think Arsenal needs in terms of players coming in maybe in January that could somewhat turn their fortunes around? Yeah. Um, for me, um, 
at this the sports game I watched, I think Arsenal uh, they had good control of the ball. The were able to get the ball out wide, bring the ball uh, good cross into the box. I didn't really watch the Burnley game, but if that's the way Ateta wants to play, it's pointless having Aubameyang and Lacazette as your number nine or your point man. You should have someone who's really imposing enough. He may not even really be the biggest person, but at least good in the air, you know, to, to get goals because it's pointless putting the ball in the air for uh, Aubameyang because that's just not his game. It's just yeah. Yeah, they do. It's really remarkable. I think watching some of the players, the difference is in their performances between you compare them now and the end of last season. So I mean, I know they have a pretty rough fixtures coming up. They have Southampton this week, and then they've got Chelsea. Chelsea uh, Boxing Day. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it could get worse before it gets better. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It certainly could. Um. For me, Chelsea, I think, if you had asked me this question or if this issue had come up, let's say, a month ago, I would have said, no, maybe a deep line um, playmaker, like a proper deep line playmaker, because Jorginho, he doesn't quite cut it for me in terms of the balls he puts in, um, like someone like a Fabregas or someone in that ilk, but those sort of players are sort of a dying breed at the moment. Because it seems he must be built like a muscle car to play in the midfield in modern day football, at least um, in, in the Premier League. Everyone must run 100 miles an hour to be able to play uh, in, in the midfield. Um, I think it could be reliant on moving. Some players um, of the of the team to um, at least affect the 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 wage the to affect the wage books to get some players off like your um, Danny Drinkwater. Like before we started <laughs> recording, um, that I was watching the under 23s and Danny Drinkwater <laughs> was playing in midfield with um, Louis Bates, who is a, a very good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for me, I think Louis Bates, although he's still a very young young player, but he's just he's just uh, phenomenal for me playing as a deep line playmaker. But obviously, he's still is it seventeen or, or eighteen? So he's still rather young, but he would really do well playing as a deep line playmaker. So for me, why I think Chelsea would need two wingers because. Um, Frank is sort of tied to the idea of playing 4-3-3, so it's like 4-3-3 or bust. So whether I have two excellent wingers or I have um, two pencil sharpeners, I'm going to play um, 4-3-3. I'm going to play with two wingers. So I think. Yeah. So for me, I think um, this could be a stretch because I don't. I'm not sure Wolves will be willing to sell. But for me, I would go for Adama Traore, you know, so at least you have someone that can hold the weight and really run down. And, you know, someone that is coming from club, should I say, with less ambition and will be ready to fight for his place rather than getting someone from outside the Premier League who's like a superstar, 
which you may, may not be able to get in January. But even if you do, you know the person will want to play automatically and um, far more regularly. So for me, if I could get my wishes granted, it would be Ismail Asaf from Watford just for his pace, Adam Achare, and then a deep line playmaker. If I could get my. Yeah, yeah, I think I think um, he's been good. He's been good, um, but it's just the fact that he can't really, because of his age, I think he can't play all all the games. But I, the games he's played, save for the West Brom game that I don't know what I was thinking about for four of the goals and easier pass, he just rolled under his um, right foot. Um, but he's been good. I've been really um, impressed with the way he's played. Because my one concern. Uh, with um, his signing was he was at AC Milan Italian league where it's uh, more tactical more technical than robust and then he moves to the French league which is even less robust I think it's not as robust at least as the Premier League and then coming in I was thinking okay would he be able to cope with the physical aspect of the game with people wanting to ruffle you up and things like that so boy, he's done well so um, I'm happy with his signing. Now, from an Arsenal perspective, there's this player, because sometimes Arsenal fans TV comes on and I see a lot of people berating um, and this uh, player. So what's your opinion on Bellerin? So, um, like for me, there's been, um, I think we'll just, <laughs> after this, we'll talk about um, Liverpool and the chances of um, retaining the Premier League. But for me, um, Kovacic has been absolutely disappointing this season. It's been an absolute disappointment for me because last season it was very good. It was like, he had anti-press repellent. <laughs> yeah, he robbed anti-press repellent on all of his body because players couldn't seem to press and, and win he always found ways to wriggle free and to be fair to him he's done that to some extent this season but he's just been like the Everton game he was just given should I say hospital passes he just give some short passes and then 
put Havertz in, in trouble, put Rhys James in trouble. So I'm like, what are you? Are you playing for Everton or, or what's going on? So for me, I've been disappointed with Kovacic this season. Um, No, he hasn't. He hasn't been good as I would have expected, and everyone who's watched him when he was at Bayer Leverkusen and maybe seen some clips of him. But for me, I feel one thing that's affected him is he's been played out of position a lot. You know, that's one problem when you sort of sell yourself it's just like you're filling the cv as a football player and then where you have other skills you now write um i can play le- left left wing right wing and then the coach sees you and think you're some human form of a swiss army knife and then just so i can even be a goalkeeper <laughs> be between the sticks so that play him all over the park his best position for me I feel is that central position either as an 8 or a 10 just behind a striker or two strikers so you let him f- get feel himself into the game control the game get his passes right and then but when you place him against any fullback in the Premier League it, it's just oh, you'll find it very difficult because I think the, an average fullback in the Premier League, if he has nothing, is he has space. And, you know the even the should I say the worst fullback in the Premier League, that's between let's say 24 and 30 would have pace. So if you place him against the fullback and you expect him to outrun the fullback, so and then he had the whole COVID, um, he had COVID COVID infection and then he. He had to be out for some time, self self isolating. So he hasn't been great. He hasn't been great, but I think he's someone that could come good if Lampard uses him well, and Timo Werner as well. And he was impressive until I don't know if he's having some psychological issues until Spain played Germany and Germany completely and Spain completely wiped the floor with Germany. You know, so six nil dropping. So I don't know. Ever since he's been back, he's not really been the Timo Werner we've seen and then the best game he's had for Chelsea was when um, Chelsea played Southampton that was the best game I've seen him play and he plays centrally so I think Lampard should just because Giroud for me I think he he flatters to deceive sometimes like he could have a good space a, a block of games where he plays very well and then sometimes and for me, I feel the best way to use Giroud will be to play, um, what's his name now? To play Timo Werner alongside Giroud more closely rather than playing Werner as a winger. So you could have him flicking on uh, balls, playing off balls for, for Werner. And then second balls as well. Werner could run on to, to the second ball. So back to the harvest issue, I think he's not been great, but he should be played more centrally. And I think he will be good. It'll come good uh, by the time the season comes to to yeah, an end. Uh, I always felt that um, Giroud, when he was first, he wasn't a bad option to have, but he'd be yeah. very good, maybe seventy-five percent of the time. Yeah. The issue was that when at Arsenal, he had no competition, so he was the, our only striker, so he had to play every game. So you know, even games where he, he's 
necessarily having a stinker or maybe you want to rest him for something, then you need to be able to rotate. So I think it's like he's always a kind of player that you kind of want maybe a better option, but he's a good option to have as well. Yeah, a good option to, to come off the bench or to contribute in some games. Um, now let's just move straight to the Liverpool to Liverpool. Um, they've had some injuries, some notable injuries, especially um, with respect to Virgil Van Dijk. And then the form has been not as great as last season, which no one expect. I think at least I didn't expect them to hit those heights this season. So, well, from what you've seen so far of Liverpool this season, do you think? Um, they'll be able to retain um, the Premiership Trophy um, title this season. So I, I'm not a betting man, but yeah. if I were to bet on a team, I would still, I would definitely still put my money on Liverpool. Okay. I think they have the strongest sort of. I just feel with City that it almost feels like it's coming to the end of the Guardiola cycle. That it's just not, it's not clicking. They're not, they don't have the same sort of fear factor that they that they used to have. And then, so if I take them maybe out of the equation, then you're thinking, okay, Spurs are their, mm, are their, are their title, title challenger. And yeah. the Spurs might continue their good form at the moment. I know they struggled a bit against the Palace, I think, at the weekend. The, the Palace were quite good good money for like good, good value. For money, yeah. So I, yeah, I think Liverpool are going to probably still be the favourites for me for the next foreseeable future, but I feel like it's okay, quite open at the top. And there's a lot of teams who are very bunched together. You still have like. Leicester City up there and Chelsea are just hanging outside it so yeah. I mean it's quite open but I still think yeah, I still think Liverpool will be favourites and yeah should I think probably will probably end up winning it in the end but I, I hope it, I mean I, the main thing I hope for is that it's a close title race because I mean like last year it was it was you know the title race was yeah it was basically a procession it was a bit of a mention that way so yeah. Uh, well, my favorite would be Chelsea. <laughs> I kid, <laughs> I kid. Um, if well, I think Liverpool, Liverpool are my favorites because I think out of all the coaches or um, managers, I think Jurgen Klopp is more of a coach, more of a coach and a trainer and a motivator of players than um, obviously Frank Lampard and. Um, Mourinho, because once Mourinho, Mourinho, once it starts going bad, it just goes bad. Yeah. So that's it for Mourinho. But with Klopp, he has like, who would have thought you would sign someone from a hall? That's Andy Robertson. And when he signed um, Andy Robertson from Hall, it wasn't like Hall was a, a team in great form in the championship. He signed him and brought him up. And then Jota, Diego Jota, he signed from um, Wolves just came in as if he's always been part of the Liverpool team and the scoring goals playing well. In Newcastle, yeah. Decent So that's that's why I think Liverpool are my favorite because with Guardiola, let's face it, 
if he doesn't spend 100 million or 60 million on the fullback, it, like he solves his problem, he, he solves it very well, anyways. But he solves his problem relying heavily on spending big in the transfer market. You know, so there's Mendy, there's um, Cancelo. How much alone he spent on fullbacks, and then the striking position. And for me, I wonder why um, Manchester didn't sign anyone this transfer window, especially with respect to the striking position. You know, because Aguero, we know he's up there with the best strikers in the world, but he's consistently injured. And Gabriel Jesus, who was meant to be like the next big thing out of Brazil, hasn't really done anything to to um, to make anyone say yes. Yes, he. Yeah, he's not even he's not even good enough for me to be the second striker to Aguero. You know, because if Aguero could score. 10 goals in let's say 15 games you're expecting the second striker to maybe put in seven goals in the same amount of time but Gabriel Jesus doesn't seem to be that sort of player um for me I don't know what he's he's good for he's a skillful Brazilian most Brazilian players are skillful but for me I don't know I don't think Manchester can rely on him for goals so except by some miracle they're able to get Kunaguero fit and playing regularly, then um, they could stand a chance of being real title challengers. Or if they dip into the transfer market, and then, well, who can you sign? You can get Haaland, at least not in January anyway, because teams in the Bundesliga they, they run they run as a proper business outfit, so it's um, they don't just sell players like that. And my United found out out this transfer window because they thought they would just bully uh, Dortmund and then get Jaden Sancho or will bully you and then will get the player to feel unhappy. But they were not going to sell him. Um, so Liverpool for me are my favourites. And then Man City, if they can get Kunaguero fit somehow, get him playing well, maybe. And then Spurs, I don't see them winning it or Moyes might not wanting them to win it, but. <laughs> but um, the way they've been playing, you can't deny you can't deny them the um, level on points with Liverpool. Um, like I said last time um, we spoke in the last episode, um, the big teams wouldn't really be the problem for um, Spurs because there's this psychological thing where if you're Liverpool playing the Spurs, you are meant to attack, you are meant to go for you, you know try to win the game. If you're Man City, the same thing. If you're Chelsea. The same thing, you know. Even an even an Arsenal, despite the position, you want to go forward to win the game. But when they come up against teams like Burnley, teams like Crystal Palace, teams like Fulham, who are ready to give them the ball, that's where you have the huge problem. That's where you have. Um, that's where they face the challenge of having to break these teams down because essentially, Mourinho is allowing teams break themselves down. You know, when you the pack players push players forward and then you have spaces in behind you put the long ball to Kane and then Kane pulls the ball to Son and then Son pulls the ball in the back of the net and that's it so <laughs> I may be over super fine but that's how it seems that's how it seems to work so Spurs will be up there you know because I think they'll under Mourinho they'll be more consistent you know than, than most that certainly 
Um, and certainly in Chelsea would be, and then Liverpool. So all my long winded talk is Liverpool. Liverpool, Liverpool um, will be my favourite serve um, for this for this season. You know, so Liverpool will be my favourite. Also, maybe Liverpool might get distracted if Liverpool go deep into the Champions, Champions League. League. And you know, if they get more injuries to key players, then it could be Tottenham. I mean, Spurs are in the Europa League, and I think I mean they don't take it. To- didn't take it too seriously in the group stage, just rotating and stuff. And I mean, they have the best defensive record in the league, so I mean, they're still. I think they will push Liverpool close enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think they would. Um, but then again, it also depends what they'll be able to do in January for one, and then what uh, and if Harry Kane would be fit, because Harry Kane, at least in the past two seasons, hasn't really played. Hasn't really played an entire season without having some sort of injury that keeps him out for a bit. But hoping he keeps fit, then I think there could be Liverpool's closest um, challenges of this season. Uh, so. Did you get to see any of the um, the draws for the Champions League? Uh, I did. I did see the draw, but I, I can't remember exactly. I'm just going to look up again the exact fixtures. I know I saw. Well, from what I remember, it was quite favourable for the English teams. I, I remember looking at it and thinking, okay, Chelsea against Atletico Madrid. That's one that they might lose, but yeah. the ones for the English teams that I thought would be quite quite favourable. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think Chelsea. <laughs> if an Everton side could could make Chelsea absolutely uncomfortable, then an Atletico Madrid side with better forwards, but tutored by um, uh, what's his name now, Diego Simeone, <laughs> would just make life hell for Chelsea, and it could be one of those games where if. Atletico Madrid gets the first goal. It could end up being maybe three-one or four-one because I know Chelsea has improved defense in terms of the way they defend immensely from last season. But well, fingers crossed. If Chelsea can get Pulisic fit and get um, Hakim Ziyech fit, then may then you then shift Havertz to more, a more central position, playing in behind um, a Werner or a Giroud, then, yeah, maybe could stand a chance. And maybe Chelsea could adopt this, the style they, they adopted when they played against um, um, Spurs, but they did really defended well and were able to contain contain uh, Spurs for, for a long time. And then they have an advantage in that since the top of the group, We'll probably play away first. So they'll probably play in Madrid first. So if you get the one-one there, then you never know. Then you could come back home and maybe win a one-nil or two-one. But definitely, but I, guess, like, I guess the tie of the round is Barcelona against PSG with Neymar going back to Barcelona. And Neymar <laughs> I think that will probably be, the, I mean, the most exciting tie of the round. Yeah. Barcelona team anymore. It feels pretty, uh, pretty 
Yeah, yeah, PSG could could more than ruffle ruffle the feathers of Barcelona because Mbappe his pace and then Neymar, even if sometimes he can overdo it, but his skill and his pace, it could really hurt um, um, Barcelona. And um, like you said, Barcelona has really been a right old mess. Despite I think the best efforts of Ronald Koeman, whatever they've tried to do right up to their board the board level at Barcelona the, the club seems to be in if not quite the free fall at the moment but nowhere the heights <laughs> it's almost like sometimes they're doing the best not to not to be in, in the top four uh, in, in, uh, in the Spanish league um the Real Madrid that have similar woes but I think they're kind of turning the corner a bit Real Madrid I think they've won three games straight and then the top, um, the top half, then top four. I think they are third on the table because uh, Atletico Madrid and Real Sociedad are uh, first and second uh, on on the table. But back to the PSG Barcelona. Yeah, they won the, the Madrid derby two 0 Yeah, that that will be that will be uh, really that will be a confident booster for them. Um, but the Barcelona PSG game it could go either way. And I think we're back to two legged. Um, knockout rounds um, because PSG they have this thing where the first game they absolutely destroy the opponent they destroy the opposition 3-0 and then you're like there's no this done it's over and then the second leg at home they just go to pieces like against uh, my United was it two seasons ago yeah, what they destroyed them I yeah Yeah, for me, I like the way Atlanta play. I like um, the uh, willingness to to go forward to attack. The, it almost feels like they would love to score fifty goals if they can. You know, they just keep going, keep going, keep going. But at the other, on the other hand, I feel there's some element of naivety. You know, they don't have this ability to manage the game, even when they've got it won. Like could be two, three nil ahead to manage the game, and then when you're playing against the Real Madrid side, however, um, a struggling um, Real Madrid side, you always feel like Real Madrid could somehow win the game. Atlanta could have the better of the game possession-wise, and even score a couple of goals. But I don't know if they've learned from last season experience, from the experience of last season, to manage the game a bit better. Especially when the World Cup. They were just I remember in the quarterfinal against PSG, and they were absolutely exhausted, I think, with 20, 20 minutes to go. Yeah. Yeah, almost like um, um, the season um, Liverpool won the Champions League um, when they played Spurs in the final. It was just like Ajax. Ajax was like everyone's 
second team we were playing good football winning and then away at Spurs they won comfortably and then yeah. you were like that's it for Spurs and Yeah. Yeah, and and you know what? They, like you said, second half they played very well. The first half of the of the second leg they played well and missed a lot of chances, but then went on to um, went on to lose 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 the tie. I was just I was just upset because I was like, come on, guys, you guys, you you, you have it there to win, but. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem Ajax has, and um, I don't know if there's any way they can fight, fight the, should I say, fight that culture. But with clubs that have bigger budgets that can offer players um, regular participation in Champions League, do Ajax plays in Champions League regular, regularly, but offer these players bigger um, pay packages, and then. For clubs like Barcelona and Real Madrid that can sell the prestige of playing um, for for this club, prestige for, of playing for them, then that could be a lure as well. Because Ajax almost disappeared because they got to a point where they were selling all their top young talent. Latin um, was this guy that played for Spurs, the Van der Vaart, yeah, Rafael Van der Vaart, Schneider. They were just selling off all their best players, and then. It was like the the top run dry. <laughs> there, there were no there were no players coming through, you, you know. And then it was like Ajax was just going to disappear. But somehow they were obviously able to um, get back to producing players and then signing some players from, you know, Ajax has a way of signing players from leagues that you don't think you can get quality players from. Like they go to Denmark, go to Norway, and get these players and bring them to the academy. And um, so. Um, let's see what Atlanta will do. I would really love them to go far this season because they play very good football. You know, even better football than Atletico Madrid with despite the players they have. And um, with the fact that Real Madrid are struggling this season, let's see. That's one to certainly yeah, to certainly watch. But now forget Shiro Immobile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he always seems to score, but the way the way um, Bayern plays, especially in Europe, is just just something else. Sort of let their wingers fly, Nabri and um, Koman and Lewandowski, who doesn't seem to miss a goal. <laughs> and then you have this guy who looks, you know, it's a bit stereotypical, but he kind of looks like a math teacher. Um, 
what's his name now? Why am I drawing a blank on your name, Thomas Muller? You almost look like someone that should be teaching in in a in a school somewhere in Germany, maybe teaching some physics or something. <laughs> because it doesn't look like how your supposedly typical athletic um, football player would look. He just looks like a regular guy. But he, he's just a machine. Exactly. He, he never seems to get tired, puts in the effort. And I think that's one thing some people say is missing from the German side. Muller being out of it, Hummel being out of it. But um, that's left to be seen if Yakim Lowe will bring them back into the into the fold, but he's just a phenomenal player for Bayern. Yeah, sure. So, um, are there other fixtures there that that's, um, that's, that speak to you that they could be interesting fixtures? Um, I, I mean, maybe Leipzig against Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool haven't looked too sure in the Champions League this year. I mean, they lost at home to Atlanta, then they drew the last game against Michelin, which I know was a dead rubber, but I mean, we saw last year with Leipzig getting to the semi-finals of the Champions League that they can cause some some issues, you know. And mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Nagelsmann is a good coach. I mean, I know they had the bad result in the first game against United, but then they brought it back and beat them in the second game. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that could be a tricky game for Liverpool. I think Leipzig, the way the sort of style that Leipzig plays is quite similar, I think, to maybe Liverpool at their best. So, I think that could be. An interesting, an interesting, interesting tie as well. Yeah, certainly that would be an interesting tie, especially with these sometimes um, with the interesting tactics that Nagelsmann um, adopts. Sometimes he plays with the false nine, and then his use of wing backs like Angelino at um, at the left wing back. Uh, sometimes you wonder. <laughs> and I wonder why Masti uh, mind looking at him. Probably they say because they don't play with um, wing backs; they play with full backs. But he's in pl- Yeah, yeah. He knows where the back of the net is certainly. <laughs> he knows where the back of the net is certainly. So um, we'll be going straight, not straight to, but we'll be looking at boxing. We'll be giving our reaction to the Anthony Joshua Pulev fight. And then, but before that, um, let's just talk some NFL. Um, now, um, is there any team worse than? Because I just watched some highlights: um, Minnesota Vikings um, versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't know. There should be the Detroit Lions are, are the worst team. Are the worst team I've seen in the NFL this season. But Minnesota Vikings aren't far off. Because yeah. they could have won the game comfortably. <laughs> uh, you guys are going to get that Lawrence kid, don't worry. For, yeah. To play a quarterback. <laughs> no, it's, it's all about, unfortunately, if you, if you ever look on any Jets thing right now, with it, it's the fans winning, winning for the loss. So we can get, <laughs> so we can get the top Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence, yeah. I mean, people would probably normally mind a bit more that the team is losing too much, but I think there's a quite uh, generally the scouts are saying that you know Trevor Lawrence is quite a kind of generational quarterback. And yeah. You don't normally get a quarterback coming out of college who is 
quite this short, do you think it's going to be a guaranteed success in the NFL? Yeah. Often you see players who do well in the college game and, you know, they might not transfer immediately skills to the NFL. Yeah. People are quite sure that Trevor Lawrence is, you know, it's the real deal. So, if so long as my Jets keep losing, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence, I won't mind. Yeah, but the question is, if you have a quarterback, a quarterback is as good as the weapons he has. Like, yeah. it depends who you have as as wide receivers, and then who you have as running backs. So that's the problem. You you could get Trevor Lawrence, but then who are the weapons available to him? Last bit on on the NF on NFL. Uh, would you have as your MVP for the season? Like potentially, would you think can win MVP for the season? Okay, so I think who, who I think deserves to win is Derrick Henry, the running back of the Tennessee Titans. Okay, the guy is just an absolute monster. Like he is just you know he is putting up games like with 200 200 yards every game just running over people he had that stiff arm against uh, against norman which was like on every highlight reel yeah, the guy is just like phenomenal um but there is i mean the mvp is always always a quarterback so yeah i mean kyler murray was doing pretty well for a while but like the cardinals he's gone down a little bit and i mean i mean the the chiefs and patrick mcholmes just keep winning so i mean Wow, I'm surprised you didn't mention you didn't mention my man um, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is good. I think maybe it's just his personality. People find him <laughs> quite hard to sort of to sort of warm to. He's very sort of uh, machine-like, maybe like Lewandowski-esque of the NFL. And you're not really sure what like what's going on. It's just like not you know he doesn't really express himself so much. But yeah, I mean he's in the definitely in there. It always it really depends. I think of who goes deep in the playoffs. Yeah. You can't really win. I don't think you can really win the consider the MVP if your team sort of plays one playoff game and goes home. You need to at least have a deep run to get to the, the NFC or the AFC Championship game. Uh, okay, so fingers crossed on that one. Let's see. Uh, let's see how he goes. And um, I know I said we'll be talking about uh, we'll talking, giving reactions up, uh, with respect to the Anthony Joshua Pulia fight. Um, yeah, we'll just go straight into that right now. So, what do you make of the fight? What did you make of Anthony Joshua and um, Pulia? Did you see the fight? Did you watch clips? Yeah, yeah, I saw the fight. I mean, I thought it was, I think it was quite 
Brian Kidd and Josh was a step above Logan Wright. I think it was quite clear from the offset he was, you know, it was going to be his fight, his fight to win. So I think it was all about, you know, how easily could he do it, you know, what could he do in the middle style. And then I thought he did, you know, the, the knockout was pretty good. And then I think it's all the talk is now about, you know, when or if he'll get the fight Tyson Fury. What, what, did, what did you think of the fight? Yeah, for me, um, the fight just showed that the Pulev well, he has a chin because there was, there was a point in the fight where it was like Anthony Joshua was just gifting him uppercuts to have a space, um, a space where he just gives like four or five straight uppercuts and they were connecting. So um, Pulev definitely has a job, but technically he was nowhere near Anthony Joshua. And then for me, I would really love to see the Tyson Fury um, Joshua fight. For me, it's they've done a lot of blabbing and talking and and all that. I want to see them step into the ring and actually put the, their fists up and go for it. And and then I was I read something on um, Talk Spot. They said it would, it would take a couple of days to get it sorted out. Yeah, if, yeah, so get it done and let's let's have all the bells unified. Unless no was the proper world champion, you know. So. Yeah. For me, I feel if Joshua doesn't go into Bizek craze mode, he would win the fight because that's how he lost against Ruiz, and that's how. Um, and he also showed that in the Pulia fight. You know, he also showed that in the Pulia fight, but Pulia was nowhere, was no match for him. And then, when you look at the fight, Deontay Wilder versus Fury, Deontay Wilder for me, probably if I step into the ring with Deontay Wilder, I wouldn't last two seconds. But Deontay Wilder, he's a good puncher, but he's not that technical. He's just someone that goes to kill you with, from the moment the bell, the bell jingles, he looks set to kill his opponent. But he's not that technical, I would say. He just has a powerful right arm and keeps throwing the punches. And if it connects, you're gone. So I think it will be close, but I think Joshua could win it. It will be very close, but I'll just give it ever slightly to um, Anthony Joshua. But then again, I mean, it sounds like a position right now, but then again, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked. <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked if... Uh, if Fury won it, but it was so close, I just give it to, to Joshua. Yeah, no, no, I think it'll be exciting. I think it'll be quite an exciting fight because I think maybe this will be one that sort of people who are not necessarily that into boxing, but mostly, you know, they'll see Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua. Okay, right, this is going to be a big, this is going to be a big, a big fight. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. And now, for just the last thing we talk about before um, we end today's episode is. What do you think about? I know it's been some weeks. Um, we had um, Mike Tyson and Roy Jones. Would you like to see similar type of um, similar type of fights where fighters who are like forty plus or towards or more than fifty coming up for um, should I say just not real to come up to to 
not not sparring, but to actually have bouts, would you want to see such fights? Firstly, I admire that they're able to sort of get people to pay to watch them. But I mean, it's not, I mean, for me, I like maybe have a bit of classes. Sort of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's going exactly. Yeah, and for me, the, even the more annoying news I heard was that, um, what's his name now? Uh, Mayweather and Logan Paul. Mayweather and Logan Paul, like, you're 50 and oh, you've actually fought against boxers who have who at least been fighting their entire careers, and now you're going to fight some YouTube uh, um, celebrity. What's that? How much? Yeah. Well, probably has some boxing um, training sessions. He's getting into it, but you know, for me, for me, no. For me, I don't see, I don't see the upside for for Mayweather. You win the fight, they say you you won against someone who's who's barely a boxer. You lose, and and he, you would wish the ground would open up and so and swallow him up because. That would just be. It doesn't matter how many belts you've won in your, in your career if you end up losing to a YouTuber. The YouTuber. <laughs> it, would just be, it would just be stuff of nightmares. So, with that, listeners, we've come to the end of today's episode. And um, thanks once again, Alex, for coming on um, the ep- on today's show. And before we call it a, a day for on the episode, um, would you like to tell us about your podcast with who can find you maybe on twitter or on facebook and your podcast as well sure so i run the, the scores throw podcast we've been sort of covering some classic games and football stories from football history we also sometimes cover sort of interesting uh, football books i find again i've had the authors on as well to talk about the book and like, their experiences and yeah i mean this week we're going to be releasing an episode which is all about the england scotland game from euro 1996 so the iconic sort of pulp uh, Gascoigne goal with the with the dentist chair and yeah I had some friends on to discuss that so yeah I really encourage people to check it out and other than that we're the Scottish sort of Scottish sort of podcast on Facebook and also the the ST pod I think is our like, name on Twitter maybe okay. just put Scottish sort of podcast in yeah, to, be, yeah. to be sure okay um, so that's good so um, on Monday hopefully we'll be having another one if if you're up for it but certainly on monday we'll be having another episode where we'll be talking about a range of um sporting topics and sporting issues so once again thanks alex for coming on today's episode it was fun as usual to have you on yeah, yeah pleasure as always go take care all right take care and have a wonderful day all right bye-bye, bye-bye.